0: Let's get after it. We don't have somebody reading this morning because we don't just have one simple passage that we're going to be in. We've got several, so it's going to be more like sword drills this morning. Remember those? So if you get get to Acts 18, that's where we're going to be for most of our time. We're going to dance over to 1 Corinthians 16, and then Romans 16, and then 2 Timothy 4. So if you want to go ahead and be ready with your fingers in all of those places, you can. Or if you just want to test how well you know your Bible, uh, you, can, you can hold off. and I've, I've held off, so I'll be taking some time to turn so you all won't feel like you're rushed. Um, this is going to be our last um, message, or our last time in this series, for now at least, on marriage called When Sinners Say I Do. If you are tuning in for the first time today, this is your first time here, uh, you can go online and check out those messages. Uh, Real briefly, the first week, uh, we asked the question, what is the pattern and power for marriage? And we came up with God's answer is the gospel. The gospel is God's power and pattern for marriage. And then the second week, we asked what it looks like uh, when two individuals become one flesh. What does it mean to live as one flesh? Listener discretion is advised for that one. Don't play it on a podcast with your kids in the car. Thirdly, last week we looked at when foxes enter the vineyard. We looked at Song of Solomon. How many of you have been reading through Song of Solomon this week with your spouse? Nobody's admitting it, but you know you have it, and I love it. We talked about how to catch foxes that have entered the vineyard of your marriage. Right, and we talked about what, what it looks like to go fox hunting. Today, the last message, we're going to be asking when marriage is for more. When marriage is for more, and what I want to do is I want to start off by introducing you to a couple. They're not here. I'm just going to tell you about them. They met in college. He studied electrical engineering with a focus on the latest innovation in technology in that day, the personal computer, the PC. She was studying textiles. She believed the gospel of God's grace He was relying on his own righteousness to get him to God. They were married, and uh, about a year after they met, he was 22 years old, she was 20. He went on to a lifelong career in computer engineering and technology. She quickly became a full-time mother. A few years into their marriage, he heard the gospel of God's free grace in Christ. He repented of his own self-righteousness, and their family became a whole gospel home. They then started to get involved in that church that shared the gospel with them. And when their kids started to get old enough, they both began serving as leaders in the youth group. They would go on to have this long impact over many years in many teens' lives. They would lead small groups for teens every week going through discipleship resources. They would attend summer camps that these youth groups would go on and winter camps that they would go on. They would serve as cabin leaders and and, and directly minister to 8 to 12 kids, boys and girls in their cabins. She would start to lead a Bible study in her own home for about 50 or 60 teenage girls in her living room. And it was very well popular. And while they, she was upstairs with those girls, he was downstairs meeting with a group of guys doing their own Bible study. She would go on to lead a vibrant ministry to women in her church, ministering to over a thousand different women. She would also go and speak at conferences for women and helping women grow in biblical womanhood. He would serve as a deacon in their church, caring for people, serving communion to the flock. They together then got involved in planting a church, which they hosted in their own home. And now they lead a life group. Both he and she realized, or sorry, released their children into the world many years back. All of their children owning their own faith in Jesus. Four boys marrying wives who also shared their faith in Jesus, raising up their families in life with Jesus. One of their boys growing up to be your pastor. The couple I've been telling you about is my mom and dad. He had a career at IBM for 35 plus years. She was a full-time mother, would sell Mary Kay on the side, <laughs> had, a, had a organizing business that she would hire us for. For those of you who work with me, you know exactly where I get my OCD from, it's her. They enjoyed 47 years of marriage so far, 32 of which have been lived, yoked together to the kingship of Jesus. And it changed everything for the trajectory of their marriage. When you think about it, ultimately, what is marriage for? What is, it, what is its purpose? Why, why would we have it? Is, it? is it to find somebody to just grow old with? Is it to find somebody who can keep you from feeling alone? Is it, is it better on your taxes? Is that why we do it? Because you can file jointly? Is it finding a pickleball partner? Is it, is it finding somebody that you can retire to a nice home with, play pickleball with, and pick up seashells by the seashore? Guys, marriage comes with so many blessings, but here's where I want you to start. The purpose of marriage is not its benefits. You can't look to the blessings that come with marriage and think that's why the marriage itself exists. To purpose your marriage based on simply the benefits that come with marriage is to set up little idols in your marriage. Guys, we have to know the answer to the question. If we're gonna talk about marriage, ultimately, what is it for? What is marriage really for, deep down? And today, we're gonna take a look at what can happen. You've heard a little bit about what can happen when your marriage exists for something more than just itself, right? What can happen when a person's marriage, when a couple's relationship that they've covenanted in love to one another, what can happen if that marriage exists for something more than just its marriage? Well, here's what's interesting. If we wanted to go to God's word, not just hear an explanation or a story about a couple like my mom and dad, Jeff and Gwen, and we wanted to go to God's word and see an example of a marriage that lived for more, you'd have to dig pretty far in the New Testament, at least particularly, we don't have that many pictures. Like if you try to just look at all the disciples, most of them weren't married. A few of them were. We know definitely that Peter was married, but other than that, we don't know. But none of their relational dynamics were recorded in scripture per se. I mean, we we know the story about Peter's mother-in-law. We don't know if he was praying for her to be healed or not. You know what you do with your in-laws, right? Like you, right? So you have, you have this dynamic where there's not really much about marriages lived out in the bible i mean you could try to go watch the chosen and see peter's marriage to his wife in there but that's creative art that's not bible so 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 where do we go where can we look in here there is one marriage in the new testament that we can look at of a couple who let their marriage be lived out for something more than just the marriage you know their names? Aquila and Priscilla. Akilah and Priscilla. We're going to look at their story today, much like we did with my mom and dad. So if you're in Acts 18, that's where we first find this couple, Akilah and Priscilla. We're going to look into their story about how their marriage existed for something more. We'll start in verse 1 and 2. After this, he being Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Pause there. So in the city of Corinth, Paul, the apostle, meets this guy. He meets Aquila and he meets Priscilla, also seen elsewhere as Prisca, her more formal name. Aquila, we find out here, is this ethnic Jew, originally from Pontus, which is a Roman province on the northeast edge of Asia Minor. But there's something about this passage that's really easy to pass over, don't miss it. It says that Aquila and Priscilla had recently moved from where? Italy, from Rome. Italy was the capital country of the Roman Empire, which had spread its reach all over the area, all over the region, all over the the map. And it turns out that they had just moved from Italy. Why? Because they were kicked out of the capital city of Rome by the emperor Claudius. You see, the Roman historian named uh, Setunius wrote in his book, The Life of Claudius, that this emperor expelled all the Jews from Rome in apparently like 49 to 50 A.D., because of a tumult instigated by a guy named Crestus. Sound familiar? Crestus is the Latin word for Christ. Claudius kicked out all the Jews because Christ was instigating tumult in the city of Rome, across the whole of Roman Empire as well at the time. Jews were in an uproar about this new Messiah. Now, here's an interesting problem that gets introduced by this. Christianity, this means that Christianity, the gospel of Christ, had already reached Rome by A.D. 50. How did it get there so quickly? Well, scholars kind of suppose that Aquila and Priscilla were instrumental in that being natives of Pontus, they probably heard the gospel soon. They were likely Christians before they even met Paul, which is why when Paul meets them, we'll find out that they joined together real quick, that Paul doesn't evangelize them, he doesn't try to convert them, they're probably already of the faith. (laughs) Some commentators would argue that this married couple, Aquila and Priscilla, specifically moved to Rome, which was, again, the capital of the known world, basically, at that time, to preach the gospel, to share about Christ. And it caused an uproar, it caused a tumult in the city. They strategically moved to where their ministry could have the greatest impact in the Roman Empire, and the known world. They share the gospel there, and they possibly create this problem that then leads to their being exiled from Rome, kicked out by Caesar himself. And exiled out of the country. So this is all background. You can kind of already see this couple seems to be on a mission. Keep going in our text. We find out in verse 3 that Paul and this couple had more than just the gospel in common. Look at verse 3. Paul came to Aquila and Priscilla. And since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. So we see later on down in verse 11 that Paul moves in with Priscilla and Aquila for about a year and a half. And Aquila and Priscilla open up their home to this missionary named Paul, who is of the same faith and the same occupation. And they help support Paul in his ministry of spreading the gospel. They host him in their home. This couple, they're on a mission Look down at verse 18 now. Verse 18. After staying for some time, Paul said farewell to the brothers and sisters in Corinth and sailed away to Syria, which we're heading east now from, uh, from the Medi- in the Mediterranean, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Guys, this husband and wife pack up ship and set sail with Paul. Paul to move from Corinth to go with him on his mission. They determined that the church plant in Corinth was probably stable enough that that they were actually going to go work and strengthen churches in other areas. In other words, this couple was willing to leave their home after already being kicked out of their other home to go wherever the Lord leads. Then verse 19, take a look there. When Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla reached Ephesus, Paul left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and debated with the Jews. So on their way from Corinth to Syria, they stop at Ephesus, which is a a port town on the way, and they see what God is doing there, and Paul and the two of them Priscilla and Aquila decide they should stay. Aquila and Priscilla should stay there. So not only are they willing to move and leave whenever God leads them, but they're also willing to settle and stay wherever God has them stay. You just see that this couple is extremely open to the Lord's leading, however they go. Wherever God wanted them, they went. Willing to pack up and relocate their lives this husband and wife are on a mission. And here they are, they're in Ephesus. The rest of the chapter I'll just summarize. They're continuing the work of making disciples and this new guy comes in on the scene in verses 24 through 26. He comes into city of Ephesus. And it's a Jew named, what's his name? Apollos. He's a well-instructed man, competent with God's word. And he begins to evangelize. He begins to preach, and many people are being saved. He teaches about Jesus. He explains the gospel. But it turns out there's something about Apollos that's kind of an issue. He knew only the baptism of John, right? Which is we know is a baptism of repentance, according to Matthew 3. And that's still part of what baptism is, right? But, but as we see elsewhere in the book of Acts, especially in chapter 19... Apollos is lacking on the preaching of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the filling of every believer with the presence of God that seals them as a down payment for heaven. Apollos hadn't heard about the Holy Spirit, along with several others in the book of Acts. So he's preaching, he's preaching the baptism of repentance from John, and in come our favorite couple Aquila and Priscilla. Look at verse 26 in chapter 18. So after Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. They didn't confront him while he was on his stage in front of the crowds. Ah, you've got it wrong! They didn't confront him saying, This is our turf. You can't be here. Go somewhere else. No. Instead, these lowly tent makers, these lay leaders in the church, husband and wife, together take Apollos aside, probably even into just their own home. And they teach Apollos about the gospel more accurately, probably telling them about the indwelling Holy Spirit. And from there we find out Apollos goes on to just continue to be and even more so be a mover and a shaker in the kingdom of God. He's planting churches, he's strengthening other believers and this married couple took a little time just to disciple him even more together. This husband and wife are on a mission. Now, we don't hear of this couple anymore in the book of Acts. But they show up three other times in scripture and it keeps their story going. going. So turn to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. So they're in Ephesus when we leave them in Acts 18. They're, they've just corrected or, or helped Apollos in his ministry. And about three to five years after that, Paul mentions them again in his first letter to the church back in Corinth, which again, that's where, that's where Paul and Priscilla and Aquila met, back in the city of Corinth. And Paul's writing a letter to the church in Corinth, and he's writing from Ephesus. And it turns out the couple was apparently still there. Look at verse 19 in chapter 16. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. Did you catch that? This couple is sending their love and their greetings to the church they used to be ministers to in the city of Corinth where they met Paul. They send their greetings, and, and they send greetings from who else? The church... That is meeting in their own home. Akilah and Priscilla, apparently, at some point in the last three to five years, they had such an impactful ministry in Ephesus that they start to open up their home to host a church so that believers can gather together and worship and receive gospel instruction and pray together. So now, along with everything else we've got on their ministry resume, add house church leader church planters. Have you you noticed that this couple's on a mission yet? Jump over to Romans 16. Romans chapter 16. Because this is where they next show up, and it's about two to four years after what we just read. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. Keep in mind That's where Priscilla and Aquila were at the start of all of this. That's where they just got kicked out by Emperor Claudius. Paul is writing to that church, and he's writing to that church from Corinth. Look at verses 3 and 4 in chapter 16 of Romans. Give my greetings to Prisca and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus who risked their own necks for my life not only do i thank them but so do all the gentile churches i don't know about you but all the gentile church, that's us that's every single church that exists is thanking priscilla and aquila here we see paul asking the roman church to greet his close friends aquila and priscilla Which means they are where? They're back in Rome. From Rome to Corinth to Ephesus, now back in Rome. You see, Claudius the emperor had died, the one who issued that edict, expelling all of the the Jews from Rome. He died in AD 54, and that allowed ethnic Jews to come back into the city. And so a few years after their time in Ephesus, when the church was strong and sustaining, they left and returned back to Rome, where God had originally led them to go. And they continued doing the work of the Lord there, and they're actively involved in church planting and preaching the gospel. And Paul, you you saw what he said about them. He said that they risked their lives. Priscilla and Aquila, both the, the couple, risked their own necks for Paul's life. And that's why all the Gentile churches are thankful, because Paul was the missionary to the Gentiles, was he not? Now, we don't know exactly in what way they risked their lives. Possibly it was the riot that happened in Ephesus, mentioned in Acts chapter 19. We don't know exactly what happened, but we know Paul's life was almost traded for Aquila and Priscilla. This couple is clearly on a mission. They're clearly willing to lay everything, even their own lives, down on the line. Last passage, turn to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4. Some of you are singing in your heads the order of the New Testament, aren't you? 2 Timothy 4. We just had Priscilla and Aquila in Rome, Paul greeting them in his letter to the Roman church. And about 10 years later, they show up in Paul's very last letter that he wrote to his son of the faith, Timothy. Timothy was in Ephesus at the time. 2 Timothy 4, verse 19. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus is the real name. Guys, this means that 10 years after they went to Rome, somewhere along the way, They were back in Ephesus again, strengthening the church there, partnering with Timothy. Guys, this husband and wife have a marriage that is on a mission. I mean, the list of things that they did in their marriage is absolutely incredible. Missionaries to Rome likely persecuted for Christ, provided hospitality and support to missionaries, church planters and house church leaders in Ephesus, discipling other believers who went on to be that generation's Billy Graham or C.S. Lewis, willing to lay their own lives down for gospel leaders, Missionaries back to Rome, the place of persecution, and then back to church leaders in Ephesus. This couple, Aquila and Priscilla, my parents, Jeff and Gwen, and many, many other married couples throughout all of history, all shared one thing in common. They didn't make their marriage about their marriage. Their marriage existed for something more than their marriage. Their marriage existed for God's mission. Brothers and sisters, like husbands and wives, we are constantly bombarded with it. Ideals for what successful marriage is supposed to look like. Careers with major payouts, right? Huge, robust 401Ks and Roth IRAs. The, the, the lake house on the beautiful lake in the valley with the nice boat. The kids with this impressive academic or athletic scholarships, right? Fancy dates, exotic destination vacations all of which to retire at your, at your fancy house with your, your favorite hobbies being your agenda for the rest of your lives where you get to play bridge on Tuesday nights, you get to play pickleball on Wednesdays, golf on Fridays with a little church on Sunday. If that is the purpose of your marriage, then you are wasting your marriage. You're wasting one of the best gifts that God has given you. As there's a way that there's all sorts of things that we can posture as the, as the purpose for our marriage. It can be that, or guess what else it can be? And this one's kind of iffy. Making your marriage about your spouse Guys, marriage isn't God giving us permission to to find a human being to worship. Like in marriage, we don't start to just idolize some human being. Which is why it's very important for us to share faith in Christ, because when 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 we come together as two as one, He's who we worship together. My wife isn't the ultimate end of our marriage. Her husband isn't the ultimate end of our marriage. It's Christ. It's Jesus. In fact, if you're single here today and you're hoping, Lord willing, that one day you have this opportunity to be married or be married again, be very leery of somebody who's willing to set you up as their idol. That's going to lead to all sorts of problems and letdowns in your relationship. It might feel good to you, but it's not the mission your marriage needs. Guys, don't you realize that we, out of all people in the world as Christians, we're going to have to give an account for the good gifts that God has given us. Marriage being one of a chief common grace of good for us. And how are, we, how are we going to stand before our God and our king at the end of the day and say, oh, thank you, God, for my spouse that you gave me. Oh, you, you put us together. You, you merged us into one. And what we decided to do in our relationship was to get as comfortable as we could, make as much money as possible, and have as much fun as we can. Francis Chan, in this book called You and Me Forever, he said, our greatest fear shouldn't be that we fail, but that we'll succeed in the things that don't really matter. Do you want to test the things that your marriage is for, what your marriage exists for? You want to find out what it's for? Look at what you spend time doing together. Look at where you invest your shared income, Look at what what divides you and unites you. Look at the things that you celebrate together or what you don't celebrate. I don't want to be good at things that don't really matter. I don't want my marriage to be trapped by things that have no eternal significance. I don't want to get to the last years of my marriage, 60 years from now, Lord willing, to look back on my marriage and see that all we did was teach a few kids how to be independent and successful and have a nice safe home and drive some decent cars that didn't break down too soon and grow old together and to retire and when I go to God, when I die, hold up the bag of seashells that I collected at the seashore with my wife and say, look what I did with my marriage. I don't want that. That's wasted. That's a tragedy. It's, things that have little to no eternal significance should have very little attention in my marriage. Sixty years from now, I want to be able to look back on my marriage with my wife and reminisce while we're sitting on our front porch of our tiki cabin in the middle of some random jungle with a, with a this is not vacation, this is missions, where the, we, we literally have spent years Trying to preach the gospel to these people and they've just converted to faith in Christ. I want to sit on that front porch holding my wife's hand in amazement of all the things that we allowed God to do in our marriage and through our marriage. I want to be able to hold her hand and say to her, Boy, did we put everything on the line for our king? We taught our kids how to love Jesus and to trust him and to live for him. We gave hundreds and thousands of dollars to advance the kingdom of God, both locally and globally. We moved where he told us to go. We told thousands of people about the supremacy of Jesus and the power of God's grace. We helped disciple the next Billy Graham or the next Amy Carmichael. I want our marriage to be for something much more than just our marriage. I want our marriage to be purposed by and useful for the mission of God. Y'all are familiar with the parable of the talents, are you not? The master having three servants gives them each varied amounts of talents and he goes away. I don't care if you feel like you've been given a 10-talent marriage, a five-talent marriage, or a one-talent marriage. The point of that parable is not what you've been given or dealt with in life. It's what you do with what you've been given. Uh, No matter how broken you think you are, Or how broken you think your marriage is. No matter how impoverished you feel like your relationship is with your spouse. No matter how impossible you think it is for God to heal your marriage. Guys, God is eager. He's so longing. He's wanting to use you and your life and your marriage for his mission to reunite all of creation with his heaven. With his presence. With who he is. In fact, God might even use his mission in your marriage to rekindle intimacy and joy in your relationship again. Guys, trust me, some of the, some of the sweetest and most intimate times with my wife are not at home. They are here. They are with you guys ministering, with, with us going and serving in places getting to serve King Jesus together. Because in college, uh, she and I would go to this Section 8 housing down in Lynchburg. We went to Liberty, and uh, there's Section 8 housing down there in complexes. and, 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 And we would go every Saturday together. We were dating at the time. And we'd play with these kids. We'd bring them clothing, and we'd bring them groceries. And we'd try to do everything we can to tell these kids about Jesus. And I don't know what it was. Seeing Caitlin have those kids put her hair into cornrows was attractive to me. Not because of the cornrows. That's not her thing. But it's just, she's, she's available for God. Guys, on one of our anniversary trips, I, I, we, we talked about, this was a, a shared Desire of ours, we went down to Salem, North Carolina, and for one day we spent the day serving at the Salem Rescue Mission on our anniversary trip. That doesn't sound like a vacation. I'll tell you what, though, it was a beautiful anniversary celebration because it centered our anniversary and our marriage on something much greater than just our marriage, right? Guys, when, when married couples serve together on God's mission, what do you think happens with all those little pesky problems in the day-to-day drama in the relationship? They get shoved to the back burner because both of you have agreed there's something greater happening in us. Those seem trite and trivial. You're focused on something eternal. So if you want to see the two of you grow in intimacy and love, for one another. Please take the main point of today to heart. If anything, make your marriage for more than just your marriage. Make it for God's mission. Make it for his purposes. Guys, we have a gospel to preach that raises dead people to life. We have a gospel to share that rids people of the guilt that condemns them to life separated from God. We have the bread of heaven. We have living water for a hungry and thirsty people that are looking, for cra- like looking to satisfy that craving all over the world and they'll never find it because it's made and comes from another world. Guys, your marriage, we talked about this in week one, it can be the most visible portrayal of the gospel that this world will ever see. Preach the gospel through your marriage. That's your mission. Make your marriage for more. I have a feeling this is probably hitting kinda hard because some of you are thinking, wait, so do I need to pack up and move to Morocco? Maybe. If that's, if that's God's spirit in you, I'm going to say please go. We'll send you. Or maybe, maybe this is, this means that there's going to be a lot of renovating in your marriage because you've built part of your marriage around certain things that you're seeing. Man, that really does not have much eternal significance. Maybe that's the work that you need to do with your spouse. Right now. In fact, I, I think that's the way we've got to do this. I think right now, if, if if couples, if you would just come together and you would pray, if you would ask God just simply, God, what do you want to use our marriage for? Your unique contribution, your unique calling as a couple. What, God, do you want to use our marriage for? Maybe part of that prayer time needs to be of repentance. Maybe it needs to be, God, we're sorry for how we've built up our our treasure chest of worldly things and we've lost sight of the kingdom and its advance. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask husbands and wives if you would get together and you would just pray right now. And I want to hear people pray. I'm, I, I'm not going to listen to your prayer, but I just want to hear people, husbands and wives, praying together. And if you're single here today, I, I want to encourage you that, that you would ask God to bring you somebody. If you're feeling like you, you, you're being led into marriage and that's something for you, would you ask God that when that day comes, your marriage would be for something more? That you would find a spouse that's also willing to agree with you that marriage is to exist for something more? than just the marriage. So I want to hear you guys praying now, asking God for him to use your marriage. And then I'll pray us out and then we'll wrap things up. So if you guys would pray together. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that this is a moment that you're using to heal marriages. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that this would be a moment that you're using to cleanse marriages of the trivial drama of the unforgiven conflicts and and strife. I pray that this would be a moment where our husbands and our wives here are lifting their eyes above the problems that they continue to see and be confused by or angered by in their marriages. And they're lifting their eyes to the cross. And I pray that, that today would be the day where if a husband and a wife have been pushing one another apart, holding each other at arm's length, I pray that today would be the day that instead they take hands together and renew their commitment to live their marriage for something much more than their marriage. Because, Jesus, you're worthy of it all. You are infinitely worthy. You didn't just buy us on the cross. You bought our marriages. I pray, I pray that we would live with our spouses in a way that models the gospel, that preaches the gospel, that advances the gospel, so that all people would come to know you, Christ, and know of your free grace. We need you to do this work. God, I I just want to pray also against, if if there's any man in here who's too much like me, like I've been for too long, I've kept my relationship with you private from my spouse. I've been, because I've been ashamed. Because I've been ashamed of who I'm not. I've been ashamed of the things that I struggle with. But God, I praise you for healing me of that because that was one area you wanted to be one, uh, my wife and I to be one flesh. And I pray that today, if there's a, 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 a spouse who has kept their relationship with you private, kept it from their spouse, I pray that they would repent and that they would today be vulnerable enough to share their relationship with you with their spouse because that's where I believe joy is going to be found. That's where healing is going to be found. That's where hope and restoration are going to be found. Together pursuing you. God, may this be a monumental moment, an altar in our church family where we see the things that you've done in our marriages and we praise you. And God, for those who aren't yet married or have been married and are not currently in their marriage, Anymore. I pray that you would keep their hearts encouraged. I pray that you would minister to them. And I pray that this morning would, have, would be a relief for them knowing that they can be complete and whole without a spouse because you are enough for every single one of us. We love you, God. We love you, Christ. We love you, Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I've got a few resources to continue on with this. I know today was the last message from here on, on the topic of marriage, at least for this year. And um, I haven't read this one yet, but I'm pretty sure it's very similar and even will go even further with what we talked about today. It's called You and Me Forever by Francis and his wife, Lisa Chan. Um, I, it, I want to um, give this to whatever couple is wanting to align their marriage to God's mission. If you want it now, raise your hand or if you want to be the first one up here to... Co- ah, okay. Dibs. I saw another hand. We'll get some more. Frisbee. Another thing. Um, to continue on in this study, uh, this, this is very helpful for instruction, for teaching, uh, for conviction from God's word. And And yet there's a way that some of this needs to be nuanced more specifically in your own relationships. So to bring this into a smaller environment where we can talk about marriage and we can can, uh, just share pursuing Christ together in our marriages, um, Caitlin and I are going to start leading a Sunday school class on Sunday mornings called The Art of Marriage. It's only a six week class. Uh, It's gonna start up in April. And if you didn't notice, this morning you got an email Uh, basically it's going to be our electronic bulletin moving forward. You'll find the art of marriage in there. Please sign up. We do have a cost because there's a his and her workbook uh, for $30, um, but that's going to start April 7th. Thank you. So I'd love for you to sign up for that. We'd love to to work with you uh, just for six weeks, not too much of a commitment. There's that. On the flip side, um, some of you want to be available for God's mission, but the one thing I see people saying when I, they want to be available for God's, mission, for God's mission is, well, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know enough to know, right? And I don't know what I don't know, right? We are going to start offering mission training classes to equip every single one of you to be mission ready. In fact, it's going to be called our mission guild. People who have been equipped and are ready for the mission of God. So we're going to be offering a class here soon, really soon, uh, that is in alignment with our mission training, our mission being to love God, love people, and make disciples. We're going to, we're going to roll that out as classes for you to be equipped. So pay attention to the announcements when those go out. If you and your spouse or you as an individual want to learn how to be mission ready, which these things are including loving God's story, in other words, knowing God's story in the Bible, how to study God's word, how to pray, um, and then how to love your neighbor, how to love people in need, and then how to make disciples, uh, how to evangelize, apologetics, all of these things are gonna be rolled out here really soon, so please Be paying attention to your announcements for that and sign up, especially if today's the day where you're like, yeah, I've got to get in line with God's mission. So with that, if you guys would please stand. I'm going to pray the prayer of benediction I've been praying over you all for the last month. Don't forget that there's refreshments out in the lobby, kindly provided by our hospitality team. Hang around a little bit, connect. If you need prayer, if you and your spouse want prayer, it's okay for you to say, yeah, we need prayer. Come on up. This is safe. Romans 15, 5 through 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Love you guys. Have an awesome week.